Hi, Hugging and Learning fans. It's Chelsea. You may have noticed that we didn't drop a new episode this morning. Things are a little hectic in Los Angeles right now. The city is actually on fire. So instead of recording a new episode, today for you, we have a rerun of our episode 18, Puritan and Simple, the misguided, wholesome Brady Bunch Thanksgiving episode that we recorded last year around this time. And with this episode, we're hoping to transition you out of Halloween click-or-treat mode and into fall festivities mode. Thanks so much to all of you who participated in click-or-treat. If you haven't sent us your address, please do that to our email or on our social media DMs, and we'll be drawing the winner of the very special prize package on our next episode. So please enjoy Puritan and Simple, and we'll see you with a new episode next week. This is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we watch very special episodes from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and see what they have to say to us today. Yes, indeed. Today we are doing a very special, very special episode. Mm-hmm. It's the Brady Bunch with the episode The Un-Underground Movie. It's their Thanksgiving special for the year. Season 2, episode 4, it aired on October 16th, 1970 weird, and was written by Albert E. Lewin. At 1970, this is the earliest very special episode that we have yet covered. Congratulations to us. We've made it all the way back to 1970. Nice. You can watch this on Hulu, or you can watch it on CBS All Access. And we suggest you do. It's been a long time since I've seen Brady Bunch, and this Mm -hmm. was uh, an awakening. Was it a rude awakening? I guess we'll find out when we get into the episode. Was it a terribly unexpected awakening? Yeah. Not really, because I (laughs) kind of thought going into it, well, this is 1970. Yeah. Let's, a lot of things have come to light. A lot of things have been made, uh, we we as white people have been made aware of or made to answer for. Yeah. That in 1970, we were just blithely running around, not giving a shit about. That's absolutely true. As far as the Brady Bunch and their functionality, though, the awakening was a bit rough. Yeah. Let's do snacks first. Yeah. I bought this snack today because I thought Andy would love it. It um, is limited edition oh holiday. Get it while it's hot. From uh, Whole Foods, the 365 Everyday Value brand. Holiday peppermint and quinoa dark chocolate bark. Yeah. Once again, our P.O. box is in Los Angeles, <laughs> California. Los Are you Angeles. implying that I... I People should send us snacks because I can't be trusted to buy snacks. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Hey, (laughs) help. This is a call to action, everyone. Fucking help me. Help me never eat quinoa again. All right. We're going to dig into this now. Yay. I think these are delicious. Yeah, they're fine. I don't understand why we needed to bring quinoa into this situation at all. <laughs> well, it's like if it's like a, any sort of puffed grain. It could be a puffed piece of rice or corn or like a Nestle Crunch bar. Any you just need to puff something, and they just puff quinoa. Sure, but so I'm now sorry. it's health food. Is there no rice available anymore? <laughs> quinoa is way cooler. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like I was riding a skateboard while I was eating this. <laughs> I think they're delicious. Miles had a criticism, though. Just a little too much.
much peppermint. But man, you're going to want that peppermint when you're riding a cool wave. <laughs> quinoa! I think they're good, and I think if you put them out, no one would know there was quinoa in them, and they would just be happy to have them. But you would know that you've done that. But I would know that I've made my guests healthier. All right, well, let's get to this outrage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to this episode full of outrage for so many reasons. The Brady Bunch un-underground movie. Um, yeah. First of all, the show, the uh, show ran for five seasons, 117 episodes. Doesn't it feel like it, it was, you know, so 100 much billion seasons It does. Instead? It does. 1969 to 1974, but in syndication for, I mean, until this day, probably. Yeah, it's around. This was well before the real, very special episode, Heyday. Sure. This is more of a holiday episode, as we said, a mm. Thanksgiving episode that has to do with the Pilgrims and their celebration of the first Thanksgiving in the Plymouth Colony. And we're going to talk all about that because I decided to step-by-step fact-check Greg's movie. Good. You can take that tact. I've got a whole nother bone to pick well, with this episode. I've got man- many a bone to pick, so There's, let's get let's, into let's it. Let's get into these pickable bones. So let's start with this theme song iconic. Everyone knows this theme song. Everyone knows everywhere to this theme song. And it is the theme song, my favorite kind of theme song, I think, which <laughs> which is the, here's all the backstory you need to know. Yeah. And so we don't have to set up the ordinary world at all uh-huh. because the theme song is like, mom, three girls, dad, three boys, mom and dad get married. Now they're a family and they have a housekeeper. But wait. Let's go into it. How will I know which is the youngest girl? Oh, she has curls. Oh, thank God. All yeah. right, we're good. So everyone knows exactly going into it who's who, how they're, this is a blended family, and they live in this house, and everyone famously knows they have one bathroom between yeah. eight people, well, nine people, I guess, because Alice. And Alice a, does not go to the bathroom. There is a recent real estate controversy over this house. <laughs> it sure was. Here in L.A. It was a big deal. I don't know if it made the national news, but the house, which is not where they filmed the show, it's just the exterior, uh, very famous. It's in North Hollywood was it went on the market in July. Uh, Lance Bass had his heart set on it. He was going to take that house to the moon with him. <laughs> Lance Bass <laughs> hunts big game. Okay. So <laughs> space Brady house. <laughs> Lance Bass wanted to buy the house. And I think he said he wanted to re- restore the interior. So it would look like the interior sure. of the set That's where they filmed enough. it. Why not? Um, and then he, it got bought right out from under him at the last minute by a corporate buyer, which was later revealed to be HGTV for $3.5 million. Um, and I'm sure HGTV is going to monetize and, and film the shit out of whatever they end up doing with that house, rehabbing or whatever it is. What if we find out that Joy Fatone is the <laughs> silent partner of HGTV no. and he's like, you've had enough fun for one lifetime, Lance Bass. <laughs> this one's mine. No, they would this never. one belongs to Joe. They would never do that to each other. No. Um, well, what if they want They're brothers in arms. If um, they wanted that way, they <laughs> oh will. Oh my God. It might be Backstreet Boys. It's a Backstreet Boys joke. It's fine. Um, it, it, it carries. So... Yeah, so anyway, that's what's going on with the house now. <laughs> Let's go back to 1970. Open on Cindy and Bobby, as you said, in the backyard. Uh, yeah, so Mike, the father, is filming Cindy and Bobby, who are the youngest boy and girl, swinging on a swing set in the backyard. This is the milkest of toasts. Yes, he is filming them with his video camera. I tried to figure out what kind of video camera oh, sure. it is. I didn't have much success, but he's filming them with a home video camera, which I think is a silent, doesn't have sound, it would appear, but does have color film. Mm. Mother Carol is 
is swinging, you know, helping them swing. Yep. And then oldest brother, Greg, rides in on his bike, comes home from school, and he says a line I love, we've got a history teacher like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Man, she is far out. The use of, the use of slang in this is just so, somebody should have stopped this. Somebody should have been like, stop using these terms. Well, I mean, it dates the show, but at the time it probably was hip. No, you no, know? it was hip. That's why I'm saying it. The Brady Bunch is not hip. No. So when uh, when he explains that the history teacher, this far out um, history teacher, wants them to do a presentation on early America in a creative format, Carol says, say, that is groovy. Yeah. The parents use slang as much as the kids to yeah. show they're, they're young and, and still with it. Sure. Um, so Greg has got this idea. Other kids are you know building models and painting pictures, and Greg sees his dad's camcorder and says, oh, let me borrow that to make a movie. Actually, he says, say, your camera. And then later and then, on... And then his dad does not say... Your camera. What they do? Look, I've written a script, and if I ever like look at my script and the first word in every line is the same thing, I go, "Uh oh, I've lost my mind." Apparently. So Carol, say that is groovy. Greg, say your camera, and later Carol says, "Say that is a good idea." Say nobody's this excited about anything. First, Greg says, "I bet I'll get an A on it." Youngest brother Bobby says. An A movie, does that mean kids can go see it without their parents? Bobby has a lot of these, like, snappy one-liners at the end of scenes. (laughs) The way he says them, though, is though he knows he's an idiot. (laughs) Does that mean that kids can come see it? He's like, I'm sorry. They're making me do (laughs) this. They're making me do this. I'm a child, and I know that this is really hackneyed. Um, And I am just, like... Great, we're going to make a movie about the Pilgrims. I am ready to be horrified. I am prepared to be horrified by the whitewashing of the the story of the Pilgrims and the Native Americans. I'm sure that this hasn't aged well. But in a way, this is the perfect thing for us to talk about at Thanksgiving because it's not like suddenly we all understand in 2018 why all of these things are problematic. Um, So it's good. It's good to watch and evaluate and talk about how far we've come and how far we haven't come. And just to like touch on the, the, the basics of the hero's journey. We know this family again, the, 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 the credits laid it out for us. And if we don't, then pop culture is implanted this into our brain somewhere. It's a supportive family. Sure, they have their mild disagreements from time to time, but they pull together like, you know, the Brady Bunch and uh, get things done. So I am also ready to watch a horrifying episode, but I'm also ready to watch like the Brady's being good to each other. Yeah. Like a family that you're just like, oh, this is gross. Yeah. This is so gross how well they're doing with each other and how supportive they are. So the special world, the ordinary world, I guess, is one in which (laughs) Greg is just a kid. And the special world is a world in which Greg is now a film director. Well, let's do the, I mean, they get to this eventually, but the regular world is where Mike and Carol are in charge. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this will be an episode where Greg is in charge. And he's our hero, obviously, and he wants to get an A on his movie project. That's the ultimate goal. Very simple setup. Sure. There will be trials and tribulations and misunderstandings along the way, but um, that's our that's our goal. Great. So that's the end of the cold open. We're into act one, and this scene takes place in the Brady Master bedroom. Yeah, and I noticed right before we left the backyard for the first time in my life that Dad Mike is hot. Is he? Yeah. Oh. 
I guess I'm now, you know, a woman in my 30s, and when I watched this before I was a child. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, that is like an incredibly good-looking, like classically no handsome, idea. tall, movie star-looking man. Good for him. And Carol, you know, Florence Henderson, gorgeous. Sure. So it's like, I now I know so many actors that are, you know, when they're 25, they're auditioning for roles to play teenagers, mothers, and fathers, yeah. that I'm wondering... You know, how much older were they really than than the oldest kids? It's a good question because Florence Henderson was doing reality TV into the 2000s. I feel like they may not have been – they're supposed to be these people who between them have six kids. But I feel like they, they might have been – I shouldn't talk out of school. It would be very easy to look this up. It would. But I feel and like yet, they, they are very young anyway. Yeah, for sure. I, I can't think of uh, Florence Henderson as anything but a matronly figure. Right. No, True. Um, the parents have a super groovy mint green bedroom that I want. Sure. Good luck. <laughs> I'm sure that you will be the only one in the mint green area of living spaces. Yeah. So we take uh, this takes place. The Michael Carol, Mike and Carol are getting ready for bed. <laughs> Pilgrim fever or smallpox <laughs> has swept the house. Carol's talking about how she thinks this teacher sounds awesome. Yeah. Greg is just devouring history and kids are bound to learn more with this kind of creative teaching approach. Yeah, this teacher's um, groovy as shit. To be noted because it there is not actually, as I discovered trying to research it, a line in the sand after which married couples on TV started sleeping in the same bed. It just seemed to be dependent upon various factors throughout all of television history, but Mike and Carol do sleep in the same bed. Mike and, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mike and Carol hear some typing downstairs. Say, what's that noise? My goodness, has the proletariat begun the <laughs> uprising? Will the Brady House fall? Damn you and your unrest machine, Gutenberg. <laughs> I feel like we're now mixing all kinds of metaphors. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, so... I don't uh, know why that occurred to me. They're just alarmed. <laughs> and like, there's typing? Yeah, it sounds like they're like someone's breaking in faces, but it's just yeah, someone's... Just, and then at some point, they're like, oh, it's a typewriter. So they go downstairs, and Mike finds Greg working on the screenplay for his movie, and he says, he's too excited to sleep. And then both Carol and Mike start to help That's right. with the he's, screenplay. He's too excited about homework to sleep, to which I think, say, that's bullshit. <laughs> Carol chimes in that she thinks the Indian chief should say, I come in peace. Uh. And then Mike says, in the first of the many problematic lines we will encounter, Mike says, uh-uh, in the movies you got to have a lot of uggs and hows. And I mean, Carol says, that's corny, dear. And I believe the word she wants to use is racist, not... <laughs> Corny? <laughs> that was before they really had the, the term racism, like, <laughs> On the tip defined. of their tongues. Um, it was like, that's corny. Uh, that won't make people laugh. They it, also use the term red man here. Yeah, they do. Alice says that uh, there should oh. be a scene where a red man's painted face peeps through a bush, and the parents agree. And then the parents and Alice kind of completely shove Greg aside and take over the writing of the thing. Like, they're sitting at the typewriter and he says oh i guess i'll go to bed um and this is our first indication that things are not going to go as greg plans also, in the it, making of this movie not at all and also it indicates that everybody knows screenplay format <laughs> on a typewriter <laughs> right. which if you held a gun to my head i would be like i'm so sorry don't you're gonna have to, to shoot this. the fuck out of me i guess <laughs> i don't know is it this many spaces <laughs> <laughs> So we go into scene two, which takes place in the backyard where the Bradys are all setting up the scenery for this movie, yeah, including the building sets, including 
working stocks. Yeah, which Greg says he borrowed from the school. What's happening? So the school already What's had happening? a child-sized stockade. <laughs> <laughs> and a I'm like, child-sized lockable <laughs> stockade. Like, is this for kids who don't bring their homework in on time? Is were this rough, outside man. the principal's office where that's we keep why, this? That's why they're calling us all snowflakes nowadays. <laughs> it's just like we all locked in stocks. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, but this this does kind of warm my heart a little bit because I come from a family of people who fully participated in each other's projects. Okay. Um, was like, that was a, that was a, that was kind of a weird transition. I was like, Bogalusa has its own working stockades. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're, we're going to eventually get those repainted. But yeah. yeah. So at this point I decide I'm going to start fact checking major plot points. Cheers. And uh, it turns out stockades were used in colonial times as punishment for minor crimes. Yeah. So plus on that one, Brady Bunch, you got that right. There's some indication that I don't have this research in front of me, uh, that the real problem with stockades, other than just the public shaming, is that it put your backside uh completely out in the open with you unable to see what's happening back there and uh, there would be sexual assaults. Really? Yeah. So you would need to uh, have somebody with you at the stockades or else it was just infinitely worse. Yee, geez. You know, um, like a religious people would we, do. We don't Again, go into I that. I don't believe that's the, the pilgrim uh, stockade usage, but I think parts of Europe and things like that. Yes, stockades were in, Europe, in use in Europe for hundreds of years. Uh-oh, we got to go to that dining room table. Yep, we all sit down to lunch. Jokes about lunch. Bobby's missing. Screams from the yard. Bobby's been caught in the stockade somehow, and the everyone working stockade. <laughs> everyone rushes to help him. No one is calm. Yeah, and I, here's here's where we're at right now. Sorry to interrupt you. We are just burning through these scenes. <laughs> right. We are at like we are at this break. It's like this. The, the 16 wheeler of this episode is plummeting down a mountain and nobody is in control. And it just, look, I have a theory. It's called Riders on Speed. That's it. That's my theory. That's the whole thing. You know what else is interesting about this that I noticed for the first time since, you know, uh, I don't know, because I'm an adult or because I'm a writer or whatever. Mm. There's a lot of ad-libbing. There's a lot of lines yeah. that clearly were not ever written on a piece of paper. And you can really tell which ones they yeah, are. Yeah, and they're just all kind of talking over each other. And, and I guess they they were like, well, you know, you're, you're in a family and you live in a raucous household and people will be talking over each other all the time. This will make it seem real, which, you know, fair. But it it's so obvious which lines are ad-libbed and which ones are not. Yeah, it really is because the ad-lib lines are just... They're out of place. They don't make any sense. Yeah. And they're just like, ah! They usually concern someone someone doing something that we can see them doing. So it's like, yeah. oh, Alice, you're bringing popcorn at, when Alice oh, walks into the room Jesus with popcorn. Christ. Cut to next scene. Carol yeah. is making costumes, and we have a dispute of vision. Uh, Greg says the pilgrims only wore black and white, and Carol says it's a shame to use black and white when you're shooting with color film. Fact check. Pilgrims wore a variety of colors. The preconceived notion that they only wear black and white is incorrect, right. minus one point. But at nine, in 1970, there would be no access to clarification about that for for my, professional writers. No, no, no. I mean for these characters. Where's his groovy teacher? Here's the deal. Here's here's where this episode starts to fall apart for me. So Carol's like, oh, but I've got colors and we're shooting on color things. I'm sure you could stretch a little bit. And then Father Mike comes in. He's like, I don't believe everything that Charlton Heston does on the TV or on the movies. So I guess it's fine to be inaccurate. 
in this history project. <laughs> right, exactly. For a grade. About a specific historical time where accuracy is all that, all that it's about. The, the whole point is to get an A on your history project. So fuck off, parents. <laughs> Make it black and white. What are, you, what are you getting involved? Why are they pushing their creative control they need this. they both need a creative outlet isn't he an architect he's though? an architect he's got plenty of creativity and she's a house mother my point remains that he's like hey could you just make this like we understand pilgrims to be and they're like this will be more fun and everybody has just forgotten the fact that this is about a grade in history. Yeah, and then it's Greg's project. And also that. So then after this costume <laughs> uh, kerfuffle, Greg <laughs> takes some pages up to the girls' room, and they get into a fight over who's going to play Priscilla. Yeah. Did you notice that, by the way, Cindy and Jan are putting together the worst puzzle ever? <laughs> yes. It was like vomit yellow with like little pictures of horses on it. Yes, it was a like, pretty terrible puzzle. Um, but so, so yeah, he comes up and he wants to give... He wants to, uh, to to dish out the roles that everybody's going yeah. to play. And everybody wants to play Priscilla. Yeah, both Jan and Marsha say if they don't get to be Priscilla, they won't be in the movie at all. And director Greg is frustrated. This ain't your big break, <laughs> to kids. Hey, the Brady family, this thing ain't making the festival circuit. <laughs> this ain't going to get the audience prize at con. <laughs> you let it go. The girls, the girls bicker. Um, and then we cut to some... Some terrible optics in the backyard. Uh, Bobby and Peter are chasing each other around oh. with improvised bow and arrow and tomahawk, imitating Native American, what we would call like war whoops, maybe most stereotypical thing possible. And I'm going to use air quotes here. Native sounding music plays. Yeah, I wrote down here, Bobby, Peter and the music are being <laughs> very disrespectful, respectful to indigenous people. Um, and then Greg comes out and says, uh, you guys are going to be pilgrims. And they say, we want to be Indians. And I, we know that's an insensitive yeah. term. We're going to use it when we quote verbatim. But we, yeah. we know that that is not the preferred it's not great. term. And it's all they use. And again, that or Red Man. I think there might even be a savage in here somewhere. I don't think there's a savage. I would have noted that. I don't know. It just made me feel gross inside. Um, the whole thing would age much better if none of these white people were to dress up as natives, but um, it's not going to play out that way, unfortunately. So, yeah, gr uh, Bobby and Peter are like, but we want to be Indians. He's like, well, I, I need you to be pilgrims. And they're like, but, 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 but. And I, I want, like, I'm already so incensed by this episode. I just want Greg to grab one of them and go, you think this is a game, you little shit? <laughs> You're a motherfucking pilgrim. Like, I'm already so upset at how shitty this family is being to Greg that I'm like, just punch somebody, Greg. Greg, just punch somebody. It's the 70s. That builds character back in the 70s. Punch him. But he does not. So no. we're back in the kitchen. He's visibly troubled. He's <laughs> visibly troubled. His parents and Alice say what's wrong, and he details all his casting woes. He says he wants Jan to be Priscilla, and the rest of the family goes... <laughs> they do, rest <laughs> development style. Yeah, everybody's kicking in their two shitty cents about Greg's fucking movie. And in the foreground, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, in their kitchen on their counter mm -mm. is a box of wakey flakies, which I believe is what writers used to call putting amphetamines in their raisin bran. <laughs> nominates herself for <laughs> Sorry. 
for Priscilla, and then I realized Priscilla must be a real person. Um, did you look? So I look up? her up. Thank God. Yes, um, Priscilla Alden, wife of John Alden, one of the first settlers, came over on the Mayflower. Fun mm-hmm. facts: her entire family, except for her, died the first winter in Plymouth. Congrats. Um, and then she and her husband John had ten or eleven children, and have an enormous number of descendants living today. So she's one of those people. If you trace your family back to the Pilgrims, as sure. people in New England are wont to do, sure. you might be descended from Priscilla and John Alden. Is this where I talk about my family's heritage in the the New England colonies? Sure. Uh, I don't know much about my family. Uh, we we descended from a family called Griggs, and then somewhere along the way we lost the S. Uh, but the best I've been able to find as far as famous ancestors hmm. is Dr. Hey now, Dr. John Griggs. Right. Lived up in the uh, New England area. And he was the uh, doctor who officially diagnosed the first case of witchcraft. (laughs) He wrote, there is a. You must be so proud. Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how how that goes so well with my political and ethical standings these days. Yeah. Motherfucker wrote, uh, these three women are, quote, under an evil hand, unquote. Uh, it turns out that he was being pressured by the town leaders to make a medical diagnosis about it because people were still, you know, being reasonable about mm-hmm, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so Greg has decided at this point he's getting pushed around by all the members of his family. His vision is being muddied by all of these external <laughs> suggestions. He calls the movie off. He says the movie is off. No. Act break. Out of there, like a young, skinny Orson Welles. Yeah, yes. He like, shuts, you can't. He shuts down production. I will not let this studio system fillet me alive. <laughs> You're going to note me to death, Dad. Ah, uh, the French. Um, that's, that's a commercial he did when he was drunk. It's fine. Um, <laughs> have you never seen this? It's Orson Welles drunk doing a California champagne <laughs> commercial. And his line is, ah, the French champagnes were well known for their, you know, this and that and the other. But he's so incredibly drunk. The first take is them going, action, and Orson just staring at the camera. <laughs> and there's like two people. There's a guy like pouring a champagne and like a woman enjoying it next to him. And they're like, action. He's like, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> And then the next, the next five or six takes are Orson Welles going, ah, the French champagnes are known for the, the like a California champagne. Ha ha, the French, ha ha, French sexcellence. He says the word sexcellence at some point, which makes me just laugh my ass off. Go look it up. It's horrifying. He was living a terrible life at that time. There's a whole bit, there's a whole scene that is Catherine O'Hara doing that in the first season of Schitt's Creek. Uh, She's like a soap opera actress and like a washed up soap opera actress and they move, when they move to Schitt's Creek, the guy who runs a local vineyard wants her to do a commercial for his fruit wine and she gets wasted and then she can't do it. It's hilarious. So we go, <laughs> so on that note, we go into act two where we are up in the boys' bedroom where Greg is laying, thinking about things and feeling s- sore. Yeah, he's sore. He's steamed. He's steamed like a bunch of clams. <laughs> um, his parents come in and they apologize. You know, they say, we're so sorry. We, we took over. Greg apologizes and he said, I shouldn't have popped off like that. Which I think is, I've only heard in two places. Obama say? Did Obama say? Oh, Obama said people want to pop off about such and such. I've heard it in two places. Once, 
rap lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and number two, the Bad Girls Club. That lady who slams like the, the pots and pans together. Yeah. I'm not going to sleep. I didn't sleep because y'all. Y'all ain't going to sleep because of me. That lady said pop off so much. I thought she had stock in it. Go ahead. Pop off. Pop off. So congratulations, Greg, for being ahead of your time yeah, in appropriating really. black culture. <sighs> Mike says, uh, Dad Mike says, I'm going to tell the other members of the family that you are in charge. They have to fall in line and do what you say. <laughs> yeah. And the movie is back on. Dad tells Greg he's going to boss the kids into letting Greg boss them around. Yep, yep, yep. That's how we solve problems here. It's a real top-down corporate ladder situation. (laughs) Bossing around, rolls downhill. And what we get for this resolution is a montage. Sure do. It's just three or four scenes over and over again. Yes, Mm -hmm. the set getting painted in the backyard, costumes getting pieced together, Mm -hmm. and then the roof going on the cardboard uh, shelter outside. It's not a great montage. No. I'll be honest with you. It's a long way from here to Rocky for a movie, which is 90% montage. <laughs> so we go, well, technically what I guess is scene two is in the backyard and we are going to shoot this movie. Yeah. Now we're ready to shoot. Okay. In terms of the hero's journey, we have a person who wants to make a movie that gets an A. The first half of the making of the movie, you know, up to this point has been a lot of interpersonal conflicts with people that are supposed to be his ally archetypes, but are turning into antagonists and they can't get it together and everyone's fighting him. And now they're no longer fighting him, but now we get into the second half of this, which is just mishaps, misunderstandings, pratfalls. And quirks. Uh, We have right here what I like to call a Brady moment. Mm. So Mike says, now, wait a second, Greg, I need to tell you something. He's like, Dad, you told me you were going to boss me around. And all the kids just start shitting on Mike. Dad, you said don't (laughs) do this. He's like, no, I have to insist that you do this one thing or this movie will not go forward. And it's like, okay. And then he says, I'm going to take that lens cap off. Just say take the lens cap off, bro. And Cindy calls him a dum-dum. In an improvised line, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. you. This is the point where my dad would have just put his hand on my brother's shoulder and been like, son, take the lens cap off, you know? That's all you need to do. <laughs> so everyone is dressed as a pilgrim right now, yep. which is great, except I realize we don't see Alice, and I'm like, okay, there's yep. a joke coming. Here we go. And then I go to myself, how is he going to edit this foot? Is he splicing together oh, missing, film? Missing from this is a meticulous editing scene. Yeah, this is not like I'm going to slap this into iMovie and uh, <laughs> and put a soundtrack no. and a filter on it and here we go. This motherfucker would have had to have gone to a professional facility or at least something that the school may provide and literally run the film through Hours. a reel and cut it by cut, hand. Cut and cut paste. and tape. Yep. Everything himself. We don't see any of that. So Alice then enters, as I hoped, in a uh, like a sight gag. She's mm. got a mustache and a beard on. Watch it's out. it's a pretty funny sight. It's I right. think it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's fine. And for a brief shining moment, I think we're actually getting away without any of these white kids dressed as Native Americans. But oh. I hoped too soon yeah. because the very next thing that happens is Peter and Bobby pop out of the bushes in beads and feathers. At least they aren't wearing red face. So they ask dad something. They're like, oh, what are we supposed to do here? And this is it. This is the big moment for learning a lesson about history and accuracy yeah. and things like that. And instead, uh, Mike uh, Mike sort of like, uh, gently explains the one time in history where white people might have been wrong about something. Yeah, he leaves out the genocide part. He makes it just sound like land disputes. Although, yeah. so what, he, what they say is, the, the younger boys say, so we're going to attack the fort. 
and right. and Greg and Mike say, no, you you come in peace. You're peaceful Indians. And they said, well, if if they're not going to attack, if we're not going to attack, why do you need Indians in this thing at all? Greg says, um, or no, Mike says, Mike says, that the Indians were friendly at first and didn't start attacking until the pilgrims took all their land away. And I mean... <sighs> I guess you get a half a point for presenting a fact that doesn't paint white people in the best light. Is that a light. direct quote? Yeah. He okay. says that they were friendly until they started taking their land away. And then the boys have another follow-up question about that. And he says, well, they only took a little at first. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. Uh, who knows what happened next, people, anyway. And then Bobby and Mike introduced themselves to the pilgrims in this pigeon English, which How? is highly offensive. Of and then the most offensive me, thing... Me, Semoset. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's terrible. The most offensive thing to me, and this might have been an improv line, was Alice saying... The Indians are here. Quick, uh, get them beads and trinkets. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I looked up what actually happened when Samoset showed up. Sure. Um, so the Abenaki chief Samoset, from what is now today Maine, learned mm. to speak English from fishermen who visited his coastal territory. And when he showed up at Plymouth Plantation, he's, the first thing he said to them was, welcome, Englishmen. Oh, wow. You know, so not me, Samoset. How? Yeah. How about that? And then... Samoset fostered goodwill and trade with Europeans and introduced them to Squanto, who's the other person supposedly represented by Brady Child. And Squanto was an emissary of the great Wampanoag chief, Massasoit, whose name I can never pronounce correctly. I think you're doing great. Samoset and Squanto are credited with facilitating the long-term peace between the pilgrims and Massasoit. So they are the right two people to have in this movie. (laughs) But maybe don't depict them like bumbling idiots just because English is not their first language. Also, they really just gloss over what, if anything, they did other than show up right. and somehow provide food. That's really the, the way that Thanksgiving was explained to me was pilgrims having a little bit of a rough time, Indians brought them food, then the pilgrims were doing great. Yeah. They just had one rough patch, and then the Indians brought them food one time for one meal, and then the pilgrims prevailed because white God. They just needed a little bit of a... A little bit of a helping hand. So then we time. end this scene with Alice having a Mrs. Doubtfire moment <laughs> where she's supposed to quick change into a dress, but she leaves her mustache on. Hilarious. Yeah. And then we have a hard winter scene with the whole thing is that Peter is shaking a, a snowbox, which is actually a very well-made uh, snow effect. pretty well, yeah. And then it malfunctions and... He hilarious dumps the entire box on top of the family, and I wrote a note, so we're just doing bits now. Pretty much. They also mentioned that, that these snowflakes are painted cornflakes and, and potato um, flakes. Yeah, dried potato flakes, which is what I understand most people actually use yeah. on set. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming they used those two things because they were fresh out of asbestos. <laughs> right. Sorry, um, we used it all up eating it. <laughs> and so then we, we've we finished the trials and tribulations part of the hero's journey, and we are approaching the inmost cave now I, I that got, the movie is finished. I have one more thing to say about this snow scene. Look, I, I get the idea that it's like, wow, we're having a couple little bumps in the road about getting these things done. The, the reality of it is, Everybody is being a complete piece of shit in this scene <laughs> to Greg. And then when Greg looks a little frustrated, Mike has the goddamn audacity <laughs> to go, say, Greg, what's wrong? And just, I just, the only way that, that this would be less infuriating is if that happened and then Greg just murdered everybody. <laughs> And then shot and that. Would scene. you say that at that point he would have a psychotic break? Is that what you're looking I don't, for here? I, I'm, I'm not going to judge him. I I was ready to, and I feel like I'm perfectly sane. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, family finally agrees to do this one scene. You know what? Fuck you, the Bradys. There, I said it. So th- then we're done. After this thing, everyone's complaining they want lunch or whatever. We finish. Yeah. We wrap this scene, and then that's all that we get of the filming of this epic. And then uh, they approach the inmost cave. The movie is finished, and Greg is doing a screening for the family in their living room. Yeah, and this movie starts, and again, Greg, there's a there's a, a VO line. There's a, a ADA, ADR? ADR. ADR line of, I did the editing myself and listened to this voiceover that I wrote, which is fine. Right. So it starts with the Mayflower coming to America, and it's a model ship in a bathtub mostly floating. Yes, and the movie is called Our Pilgrim Fathers, which seems to have left Hmm. out the contributions of half of the cast and half of the pilgrims. Whoops. Also, I wanted it when they... (laughs) And then boat comes on the screen. I just wanted them to like pan over the Brady's and just have them realize, oh, this is a total piece of shit. No, no, everyone's excited about the boat. Florence Henderson goes, that looks real. Yeah, there's a lot of just let's drop in some lines. Yeah, just add living for the stars. The movie is much funnier than Greg intended. It is supposed to be a tale of hardship and perseverance, and his family are huge hams and just can't stop Mm. laughing at how over-the-top their silent acting style is. Everybody's blown away that the fact that Greg has used slow motion. Oh, yeah. For which Greg says, I put in some special effects, like those arty movies. Yeah, right. And at this point, slow motion. I'm done with the Bradys. I just, <laughs> like, I watched the show every day as a kid, and right now, like... Legitimately, I am disgusted by these aggressively ignorant people. I just, the way that they are acting, I know, I get it. It's a different time. It's a show. (laughs) Andy, calm down. I will not calm down. Thank you. I just hate these people. I just don't care for them. Yeah, it's um, it's an amazing movie. It really shows the width and breadth of the struggles of the pilgrims that first year, and it ends with a big Thanksgiving feast yep. scene. Most of the family is dressed as pilgrims, with the two younger boys dressed as Samoset and Squanto. Then I looked up to see what they would have eaten at the original, because they're eating turkey and corn. Yeah, lots of it. Which looks like there would have been mostly fowl and deer, and peas and, th- and things. So you can go to mayflowerhistory.com and read about all kinds of stuff about what they ate and all this and the on their winter, which was incredibly grueling and hard and almost everyone died. Sure. There are two surviving accounts of that first Thanksgiving, one which was written shortly thereafter in a letter in 1621 and one that was written 20 years later. And the account in the 1621 letter written by Edward Winslow says that our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as, with a little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. I'm just so just like shooting into the sky. Many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest, their great chief Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. So it sounds like this went on for three days. Sure. It also sounds kind of like a great opportunity to start an understanding between two people that I guess just never materialized. Yeah, then we realized, oh, you don't have a formalized system of land ownership. Oh, is that some advantage that I could take? Mm. Um, everyone claps at the end of this thing. Yeah. Oh, we have the worst movie. we have the worst improv line ever by the way. Mm. Uh, during the feasting scene, Carol says, "You look like Henry VIII." And Mike says, "I ate enough turkey." 
<laughs> it's true. It's true. That's in job. terms of the hero's journey, this should be the climax, I guess. But it's like the climax. W- the actual ordeal is: does he get an A or not? Which we don't. Yeah. We don't see. So yeah. this is just sort of like the approach to the inmost cave. We get to see the movie, and then he comes home from school in the next scene and says he got an A. So we kind of skip the actual climb, the actual ordeal. Sure. Because this this series wants to concentrate on the family doing a thing together and mining as right. much humor out of that as possible and fuck your story if it if it doesn't, you know. Right. I guess then your story can be it has to be about the family yeah, having Yeah, the trials a minor and tribulations dis- sure. and the the allies and the yeah. friendships formed. So the story is just shut right out yeah. uh, of, of So he gets an A. Yeah. That's and the reward. The teacher says to him uh, he says she didn't think it was a great movie, but she thought I showed how tough it was for to be a pilgrim, which I don't really get, but fine. Sure. It was the snow scene. Or that fast motion scene like we would see in a Luc Besson right. film. <laughs> then there's a tag. Greg comes in and says they have another assignment about the American Revolution. And now he wants to make a movie about the ride of Paul Revere. Yeah. And no one points out that he doesn't have a freaking horse. So good luck making a movie about the ride of Paul Revere. Also, nobody points out the fact that Greg is super excited to make another movie when his only review is not a great movie. <laughs> He's just like, let's get back in the game. I feel encouraged. <laughs> his family, his mother and father are like, ugh, this guy's trying to do creative things. This guy. I think it's interesting this episode and most of popular media presents an idea. You would think that the pilgrims celebrated the first Thanksgiving and then it was the first Thanksgiving because then they did it every year in perpetuity. Sure. In fact, this is not true. The pilgrims' first Thanksgiving, that 1621 Thanksgiving, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving the next year or any year thereafter, though some of their descendants later made a forefather's day that usually occurred in late December. Several presidents, including George Washington, made one-time Thanksgiving holidays. In 1827, Mrs. Sarah Josepha Hale became lobbying several presidents for the creation of Thanksgiving as a national holiday, but her lobbying was unsuccessful until 1863 when Abraham Lincoln finally made it a national holiday. Great. So... And this is not like we we Americans can trace this feasting all of the way back in an unbroken line to the pilgrims. It's just like this was a thing that was meant to spur on kind of, I guess, this sanitized idea that we came here and, and immediately made friends with the people that already lived here and, mm. and feasted in peace. And those good relations and warm, fuzzy you feelings know, continue to this day. That whole thing. Yeah, I actually never thought about it as something they did more than once. I guess it was always presented to me as a specific incident, but also it's always called the first Thanksgiving, which makes you think that it was an right. American tradition. Um, so let's talk about just Thanksgiving itself and how problematic it is and sure. how, how much more sensitive we are and should be to the concerns of indigenous people than we mm. were in 1970. Um, a lot of terms, we talked about this beforehand. Um, I've heard native nations. Mm. I've heard uh, first peoples, first nations, indigenous people, indigenous native people. Americans, yeah. Native Americans kind of on the chopping block there. Yeah. Because um, that implies a, that they were just, they were Americans right. um, when that country did not exist. And also that they were all one group of people when in fact there were hundreds 
hundreds of different tribes and yeah, bands. Absolutely. Indian is a term that we don't use anymore. Has not aged well. I don't know if we would, I don't know if slur is the right word, but I also am not the person that can make that call. I'm nor, not a native person. I. I, I don't know either. And it seems to be sort of a weird area because it wasn't like, well, there was a name for this people and then we created this slur. That was just, the slur is how we started out. Right. And also like the, the slur becomes from a misunderstanding because Christopher Columbus thought he hit India. Yeah. So it, it just it it's also confusing because there is a whole group of people called Indians that are from India. Yeah, and now we can't say that. So I had a question, and then uh, the New York Times answered it for me okay. a year a year ago. Sure. I found this article that basically answers the question: Do Native Americans ever celebrate Thanksgiving? And they wrote this <laughs> article. It was actually it's actually a compilation. Um, a year ago for Thanksgiving 2017 called Thanksgiving for Native Americans, Four Voices on a Complicated Holiday. Wow. Of course, I'll put the link in the notes and on our website. And my favorite quote, though, a Native American artist named Sherman Alexi did a, an interview in Bitch Media. And the question they asked was, do you feel like you've been able to make Thanksgiving your own? And he said... You take the holiday and make it yours. That doesn't strip it of its original meaning or its context. There's still a really sad holiday as well. It is a sure. holiday that commemorates the beginning of the end for us, the death of a culture. I guess you could say Thanksgiving is also about survival. Look how strong we are. I guess it's trash talking. Look, you tried to kill us all and you couldn't. We're still here waving Oof. the turkey leg in the face of evil. Wow. Yeah. They talked to also Winona LaDuke. Jacqueline Keeler and Simon Moya Smith. It's just, it's four different uh, native perspectives on Thanksgiving. It's a really interesting read links to other longer reads. So uh, I'll put that if you guys want to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get to it. Who did you want to hug? I wanted to hug Greg because he was just getting pushed around by every member of his family. He wasn't able to execute his creative vision in a way that felt authentic to him as a, as a maker of art. I'm assuming it's kind of a bummer when you wake up one day and your entire family is monsters. (laughs) And your parents are like shoving you out of the way so they can rewrite your screenplay. Literally at some point shoving him out of the way. It's, it's, I'm just, I'm so disappointed uh, in this series right now. Again, I might have it wrong, but this really cured me of any nostalgia. But to their credit, the Brady parents at least do apologize. The other kids never apologize for being shitheads. Yeah, they just keep popping off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you learn? I learned a lot about the first Thanksgiving, quote unquote, for Thanksgiving from my own research. Yeah. But I learned that research because I was fact checking Greg's movie. And I'll tell you what I'm confused by this thing I had never heard before. Hmm. In the movie, there's a point where he says that the captain of the Mayflower. Oh, yeah, this part. The captain of the Mayflower said at the after the first long winter when so many people died and it was so hard, he said, I'm going back to England does anyone want to come with me? And no one went with him back to England. So I tried to look this up. Captain Jones did take the Mayflower back to England, and then it went on a couple of more voyages after that, just doing trade runs and things. Sure. But I couldn't figure out this thing about, like, no one went with him. That seems totally implausible and like a a fairy tale. 
A, he can't captain that ship alone. That ship's enormous. And we're assuming B, the like, pilgrims were not part of that crew and he had his own separate Right, crew. but you don't think a single pilgrim was like, yeah, I'm going to head back to England. Well, look, it, my understanding is that pilgrims left England and parts of northern Europe where they had escaped persecution in part because they were being persecuted and because they felt that their religion was falling prey to getting caught up in whatever culture of, of Northern Europe yeah, they had settled they into. They were Puritans, Puritans, yeah. So I, 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 I don't not believe this happened. It does seem like kind of a quirky, and then Paul Bunyan created the mountains, kind of tall tale kind right, of a thing. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. You're not going to go back after a year because those problems are still there. You're mm-hmm. not going to go back. Well, I guess it's persecution for me. As opposed to smallpox and death, though, like... Well, that persecution wasn't, you know, a, a stern finger in the face. They were like, <laughs> murdering people, so... Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I, I found it hard to believe that not a single person got... That sounded just too tall tale to me. Um, but I wasn't able to fact check it, so yeah, maybe it's so correct. You win this round, the Bradys. <laughs> you win this round. I learned a lot about the way we used to look at Thanksgiving, which I had, you know, completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, just... Glossed right over Rose it. Rose-colored Thanksgiving glasses. Not even that. I don't particularly. I, I like Thanksgiving just fine as a as an occasion to meet with friends, but little more than that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the holiday should have an official shift in meeting that just doesn't take place. We uh, we yeah. should make it more about the accuracy of the history that we've been ignoring right. for so long. But instead, we're just kind of like. We're just eating together and it's fun. It's it's better than it was, but it could be better than right. it is now. And we should point out November is Native American Heritage that? Month. So do yourself a favor and just get a Google on. Learn a little bit about the Native peoples in your part of the country or n- the way that they're fighting to be heard and fighting to be included and how you can be an ally in that. I read part of that same New York Times article. So November is Native American Heritage Month, and Native American Heritage Day is is Black Friday. Oh. So not only does it fall on this day, which is a glorification of commercialism and greed, mm. also kids are out of school. So if they put it on another day when kids were in school, then teachers would have the excuse and maybe even the imperative to be like, it's Native American Heritage Man. Day. Let's talk about this. Let's examine Thanksgiving in a more... Uh, accurate, more inclusive context. But no, we'll put that on Black Friday so no one's even in school. So we learned, uh, we did what we learned. We did who we'd hug. Because this is a special holiday episode, we have to do something else. Hugging, learning, and Chelsea, what would you bring to a Brady Bunch Thanksgiving? Stuffing. Crawfish stuffing. Crawfish stuffing? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I don't really want to, I kind of want to try them wakey flakies, to be honest with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like it would make the entire experience more palatable. Speed flakes. <laughs> Just wake up and I'm like, the 70s were really something. <laughs> Meth crumbles. <laughs> Meth nuts. <laughs> Made with real cocaine sugar. <laughs> Angel dusted flakes. Uh, look, right. we can make cereal d- drug jokes all day long, people, but we have to go. So thank Let's you very much. Turkey. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving happy, to you. Happy Native American Heritage Month. Hey, Chelsea, what are we watching next time? Next time we are going to watch an episode of the show Mr. Belvedere, season four, episode 20, episode The Counselor, which you can find on YouTube. In the immortal words of the Mr. Belvedere theme song, dropkick your jacket as you came through the door. No one stared. Oh, 
don't know what any of that means, but I guess we'll find out next time. It's a mystery sitcom Even haiku. to us. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks.